welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters, and a Happy New Year to everybody, including Tom. Tom, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Old acquaintance be friends. Oh, wait, I won't do that. <laughs> let's, let's not sing. <laughs> what are you saying, yeah, man? <laughs> we're finally seeing the end of 2020. What will go down in the record books is probably one of the longest years that has ever occurred <laughs> so, in our lifetime. Somehow it managed to make more than 365 within the confines of 365. Yeah, it definitely felt that way. Yeah, I'll be I'll be happy to see 2021 and uh I am not usually a big fan of uh odd numbers, <laughs> but this time around I'll take it. Damn Skippy, yeah, no, that that last one can just burn in hell. Uh, I tell you, I don't have any news. There wasn't anything really big and earth-shattering that I wanted to talk about or anything. I was just uh, been watching some fun stuff here lately. Oh yeah. I decided to do uh, start a rewatch of the show Killjoys. Oh yeah. Did you uh, Did you like that? Did you watch that one? I I caught the early seasons of it and uh, it kind of fell off for me uh, when. I, I liked some of the dynamic, and I liked the Duff character in particular. Um, um, am I saying her her character correct? Dutch, 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 not Duff. Hello. Anyway, <laughs> Dutch. Yeah, no, I I really cared. I liked her character quite a bit, and her dynamic. Uh, I keep wanting to call him Jimmy Olsen because. <laughs> Because he did a stint as Jimmy Olsen on the Smallville show. Oh, that must be uh, Aaron Ashmore. Aaron Ashmore. Played Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's one of the things that struck me. I just love it. I'm watching the, probably the first season is when you get some scenes between these two. And it it is something that is so rare to see in television these days is a male and female. And there's no... Will they, won't they? There's no sexual tension. They are just, they are best friends. They're like brother and sister. They're the best of friends. No one's trying to get in anybody's pants between the two of them. It is so refreshing. Their relationship is so fantastic in that show. I, I, I loved it just for that alone would be enough to just keep me watching that show and and to give it further credit it 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 was a male female relationship no sex and they didn't make the guy gay yeah yeah like that's usually how you get the best friend male female and they didn't do that and kudos to them to that it was just straight up their family it's more brother and sister they're best friends they're not 
anything else. So I, I'm completely with you on that. That was very cool. Yeah. I could see where you might have dropped off towards. I think it ran five seasons. Did it make it that see far? Where you might, yeah, and I could see where you dropped off because I remember thinking the same thing. Is by the time you get to that fourth and fifth season, you're thinking that this is they're really dragging this out. You know, this is getting a little long in the tooth. Well, and it was. I watched it because I liked the characters. Sure. I liked the people playing the characters. I could tell that they were still having a good time. And a lot of the characters they brought in in the latter seasons, I thought I, I enjoyed. But the first couple seasons, yeah, are just phenomenal. I just absolutely loved it. It's so good. And, uh, yeah, I, I finished up season two, and now I have to wait for the next <laughs> the next season to come from the library. I, I think it is streaming on sci-fi, but I don't know if it's – I imagine it's ad-supported, and I don't really feel like sitting there watching the ads well, to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll get the DVDs from the library so I can just burn through them as fast as I want. Yeah, see, that that was the thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the first couple of seasons, I liked that bounty hunter thing they had going on. And then when it started to try to coalesce into a bigger story about that alien invasion. Saving the universe. Thing, yeah. yeah. And she has this like special backstory and all that and like you taking me out of what made it fun for me and what really surprised me i thought that that kind of came out of the latter seasons but all that is actually in the first two seasons i know all that groundwork and everything is there i was like oh 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 the the green goo and everything that's that's like season one <laughs> towards the end of season one it starts showing up i'm like oh Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, see, it's easy to kind of let it go because you got all the other stuff. But yeah, they did do the early introduction of it. But Yeah. But no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I wanted the buddy comedy sci-fi thing that it was, and then it started to take itself too seriously, and I kind of got out of it. Yeah, I don't know if that's how I would describe it, but I definitely understand what you mean. And I, I do agree is when they started doing the whole universe-spanning, saving-the-world kind of thing, I, I thought that's really, that's just, this show isn't the place for that. I, I, I just enjoyed the exploits of the rack agents, you know, these bounty hunters, whatever you want to call them. That, that was good enough for me. Well, and this, I think the reason I liked that part and what you like about it is the same. It had that vibe of uh, of Firefly. It, it, it's a little bit. You had a very dynamic cast that it was clear they were having fun doing what they were doing. It's got a little bit of a space western kind of feel to it. Uh, everything's not so clean and polished and, and all that. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, when they're not taking themselves seriously and saving the world, it, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a good time. I've had a lot of fun revisiting it. It was one of those ones where I, it's been sitting around. And I thought, oh, oh, I'll watch a little bit of that. And so I started watching a little bit of it, and then I kind of fell away from it. But I found myself kind of like, kind of kind of want to watch some more of that. And, so, <laughs> and then next thing I know, the I did that through the first season rewatch and the second season it was just one after the other bam 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 <laughs> I, I probably watched the second season within a couple weeks on my end of the world i i've been really hitting um uh the farscape rewatch 
Right. Yeah, you mentioned that before. How's that going? That's a lot. That's a little bit longer of a uh, a go. Yes, I think, and isn't it? How how many scenes did that one run? I want to say also five plus the movie, maybe four. How many episodes in that season though? Yeah, that, that's more in like the twenty four category. So it's a it's a long haul. Yeah, that's what I thought because the the Killjoys is only maybe. 10 or 12 episodes a season. Right, yeah, no. Farscape was running in the in the old style where you'd have run a season from from September to to roughly May uh, with a hiatus, so mm-hmm. it did the whole thing, and yeah, so I'm only through, I, I'm almost to the end of second season, and I have forgotten just how psychedelic <laughs> That show was. Some of it is just super trippy. I would watch that show just for the opportunity to see Pilot. Yes. That is just, was one of the most amazing puppets I think that has ever been on movies or television. I just, that would have been kind of one of those things where it's just like, I want to visit. <laughs> Let me be in this universe just so I can see a pilot. <laughs> I'm reminded of one of the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes where they encountered a living ship. It, oh, right, right, right. It, it's actually one of my more favorite episodes, and I just can't help but notice that Moya, the ship in Farscape, looks a great deal like that ship. Maybe a little, little bit of influence. A little bit of influence the other. there, yeah. but I love the notion of, of a of a living creature that is somehow evolved or designed by its creators to to be a fairy for other beings through space, and uh, and I just I really love that. And yes, pilot uh, the fact that there's a symbiotic relationship between the. Uh, that and then yeah the puppetry alone it's just amazing mm-hmm. it wasn't until i started rewatching it that, uh, that i didn't realize the actor that plays the evil crace the uh the captain hunting john Crichton, is pilot he does the voice for pilot he's the voice of pilot no he's not he absolutely <laughs> is oh fantastic yes i had no idea yeah no i i, I didn't because i never bothered to like I, I watched it all through its run but i never bothered to like sit down to what i saw all the credits at the beginning but i didn't like read who was who at the end credits and right because i mean it's on amazon and anytime you like if i watch on the computer and you hover over you move your mouse while you're watching it um, it'll show you which actors are in the scene at the time. And oh, right, the little the little spotlight or whatever they call that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I, I happened to move my mouse over while Pilot was on the screen, and there's his picture, and it says Pilot. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> it's totally him, though. And now I can't not hear it. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that's even that makes it really meta since he becomes like the the owner and pilot of. Uh, Moya's uh, offspring. Yes, um, Talon. I like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I love how they'll have very... Tri- I just got done watching um, an episode uh, a day or two ago where uh, they did one of these trippy mind-bender things with the John Crichton character. There's, 
the one alien race called the Scarens um, had captured him and they're trying to infiltrate his mind. And so he's living out a scenario on Earth, but yet all the people from the Farscape world are showing up in his in his little internal fantasy about being home. And at one point he finds himself in a bar and Scorpius is like playing the guitar and, and pilot is the drummer (laughs) 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 with all the arms. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) Nice. But yeah, no, I'm having a lot of fun rewatching that. But yeah, I have forgotten just how really crazy that show was. Another thing I started rewatching because it showed up on Prime and used to be able to find it on uh, Tubi, but of course it had its ads. And I watched a few episodes, got bored with it, showed up on Prime. The mo- the old MXC Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Oh, geez. that used to run it. A- Used to run on Spike TV. Yeah. It's so wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was wrong then. It's even more wrong now. Oh, I know. But it is so much damn fun. <laughs> for, for anyone who hasn't, didn't know, someone took an old Japanese, I guess, sort of game show. Yeah, it's their version called, of a game show. Uh, Takeshi's, Takeshi's Castle. And they used clips from that, but then, of course redubbed everything Mm -hmm. and it's it's terrible it's sexist it's misogynist it's 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 racist racist (laughs) oh it's awful but uh, some of it is so damn funny and watching the clips of these people that's what i think the funniest bit is like these are really people doing these ridiculous stunts you watch it on mute, and it's still hysterical. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, because uh, the some of those ge- Japanese game shows are just like crazy. Uh, like I don't know who puts themselves through that, but then again, uh, those become the inspiration for a lot of the American stuff that you get <laughs> you get now too, like the wipeouts. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, which I think was. Oh yeah, that was absolutely kind of like inspired by. Oh yeah, to- stuff that total rip off yeah. of the some of those more extreme uh, Japanese game shows. Yep, and right down to the commentary. I mean, the commentary mm-hmm. track is very reminiscent of what you're talking about. Only right. they're doing it for real while all the, yeah. <laughs> the contestants are doing this stuff. Some of the puns and stuff that they come up with. At, on MXC, I, it's kind of one of those things. It's Emmy worthy, you know. If it weren't for the fact that it was on Spike TV and so so wrong, the writers really deserve some credit for the, some of the most creative writing and editing <laughs> that I've ever seen. Yeah, no, it's yeah that that one was a lot of fun. Yeah, you feel bad for laughing at it, but you can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> you almost kind of want to go. It is meant to be egregious in because it's a parody even of itself. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, like I'd like to think even when that was made, they are going 
across the line so that you can make fun of the fact that they're going across the line. I'll accept that. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes you sleep better at night to laugh (laughs) at it, let's go with that. If any of the writers for the show want to come and tell us what your intent was, please contact us. (laughs) Absolutely. There is uh, one more thing I've watched a few of. I introduced Ben to this. This is something I remember watching when it first came on here in the U.S. Um, James May's Toy Stories. Okay. Have you seen any of these? I have seen a few of them, yeah. Okay, yeah. So much fun. James May, my my son just loved James May. Yeah. He just thought that he was hysterical. Uh, oh, <laughs> and James is The awesome. stuff he was coming up with. Yeah, James is, is fantastic. Uh, James May's Toy Stories, though, he takes toys that he loved as a child, turns them up to 11. <laughs> I, I don't, how else would you say it? He, he decides, you know, every, every kid sitting there building a Lego set wonders... If you had a Lego, enough Legos, could you build a real house? Right. Well, he does. <laughs> he actually constructs a home made out of entirely of Legos uh, to live in for 24 hours. Oh, my God. It's, it's fantastic. And, and the whole, you know, it's an hour-long program, and it's just a real brief snapshot of what he goes through and all the people that he... In, um, recruits to help in all these endeavors and it's it's so much fun he also did a uh, a model airplane at one-to-one scale oh, geez. <laughs> which was brilliant he got a bunch of high school kids to help uh build it he tried to kind of reinvigorate the uh the model airplane you know the level model airplane to the new generation yeah <laughs> so he was taking little kits into the kids and then got the the, the better of the ones that were coming up with actually did a decent job. He had them help actually construct this giant model airplane. <laughs> Where are you watching these? This is on Prime too. Oh, then I'm totally going to have to dig that. I, it would make sense that it's on Prime because uh, oh, James May, of course, being part of the trio from the, the good version of uh, Top Gear and now grand tour i am totally furious with uh amazon that they cannot manage to get grand tour out (laughs) yeah yeah i keep waiting for the next special or something to pop up and so far nothing yeah there's a teaser for the next uh, the next one and i'm like you're killing me just kidding oh i haven't even seen the teaser so it's just just as well now i'm kind of angry that you you say that there is one Uh, now, before we move on, though, I, I do, uh, I'm not going to, because this is still way too new territory, we're not going to discuss it. I don't even know if you've even watched any of uh, it, it's The Mandalorian. I mean, you can't not no, no, hear about The Mandalorian. I am not. Oh, gonna. I've heard tons about it. I think I know everything about it, never having actually watched a single episode. Um, I, yeah, I have to say, I, I love the first season. The second season, I'm obsessed, and I don't even care for Star Wars all that much. I mean, like, I, I, I got Star Wars out. I was ready to just go, eh, you know, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there, done that. I'm over it. Um, and then the this started, and this season in particular has just really kind of... There's the meme that's out there that... Uh, um, Oh, what I am blanking on the actor's name. All of a sudden, the the oh Pablo, 
the, the guy that's playing the Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it's killing me that I don't remember his name, but, uh, uh, there's a meme out there that, uh, he recently hurt his back from carrying the Star Wars legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely accurate. Uh, I, there has never been better Star Wars than there is right now with that show. So, yeah, that's what I've been hearing from, I think everybody mm-hmm. that I know that watches that show that says that it is the best Star Wars since A New Hope. <laughs> oh. Since the first Star Wars, yeah. A- absolutely, and since I-, I have to, I'm watching it with my friends here. They make fun of me because I watch it uh, with Jack before I watch it with uh, with them, <laughs> so they think I'm a traitor for not wait- waiting to watch it with them, and I'm like, I don't care, so I end up watching the episodes two, three, four times and I don't get tired of seeing it. It's just that good. Excellent. Now, it, I'll get around to it eventually. Of course you will. But, uh, yeah, I have not I have not gotten there yet. But yeah, those are the things that are occupying my days, the, other than uh, the constant stream of work. <laughs> yes, of course. Work is really putting a cramp in my uh, movie and television. I know, watching. right? Don't they so know who rude. we are? <laughs> <laughs> So freaking rude. Totally. All right. Well, with that, we should probably take a break and start actually talking about a film since we did watch one. We did? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I think that's what we do. So let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, we're going to go back to 1995 to see what 1999 looked like <laughs> in Strange Days. We are divided, now more than ever. We separate ourselves based on politics, race, age, favorite sports teams, religion, and even what fandoms we subscribe to. But there is one thing that we all have in common, death. You're gonna die, I'm gonna die. We're all gonna die. Coffin Cast seeks to shine a light on the thing that unites us all with a mix of true crime, strange death stories, and a little education mixed in. So when you find yourself at odds with someone, just remember, they are going to die too. Have you ever jacked in? Have you ever wired tripped? You ready? This is not like TV, only better. This is life. It's a piece of somebody's life. It's about the stuff that you can't have, right? The forbidden fruit, straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're doing it, you're feeling it. Are you beginning to see the possibilities here? I am your main connection to the switchboard of souls. I'm the magic man. If it's got something to do with the water, sooner or later it washes up on your beach. Fan mail from some flounder. It's the dark end of the street. How do you like it now? He records it all. Everything. And gives it to you. Why me? There's more to this whole thing than you think. 
Give us the tape right now. You don't know how high up the food chain this thing goes. Do you know what this tape could do if it got out? I see the world opening up and swallowing us all. This is conspiracy paranoia. The issue isn't whether you're paranoid, Lenny. The issue is whether you're paranoid enough. No more games. Whatever's going on, you have to get out of here now. Get him out. This tape is a lightning bolt from God. It can change things, things that need changing before we all go off the end of the road. It'll be an all-out war, and you know it. No! Well, maybe it's time for a war. Oh, man, cheer up. World's gonna end in 10 minutes anyway. All right, Strange Days from 1995. Los Angeles, December 30th, 1999. Lenny Nero deals in dreams. Formerly an LAPD vice cop, he now deals in illegal squid recordings. Recordings made directly from the cerebral cortex of the participant, which allow the viewer to feel and experience everything the participant experienced as, as if they were there. One of life's perpetual losers, he ekes out a lonely, miserable existence at the end of the millennium, still pathetically yearning for his beautiful ex-girlfriend Faith, a beautiful singer, and is dependent on his friend Mason, who both loves him unquestionably and despairs for him completely in equal measure. But Lenny's life is about to be shattered when he is anonymously sent the recording of the brutal rape and murder of a prostitute he's acquainted with. He and Mason soon find themselves reluctantly embroiled in a dark web of murder, blackmail, and intrigue amid the civil unrest surrounding the suspicious death of an influential, politically active rap singer. Lenny and Mace are soon running from Faith's brutal manager, Philo Gant, and a pair of menacing police officers as they try to uncover the connection between the two and stay alive long enough to see the new millennium. Now, that synopsis was actually from IMDb. I usually write my own, but this one I felt kind of said everything that needed to be said. Uh, so thank you, Scott Nisbet, for writing that. <laughs> Indeed. Now, this is one that I remember watching probably when it first came to home video. And like I said, I think you and I probably watched this one together 1996, late 95, 1996, whenever it was on VHS. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I don't think I've watched it since then. There is so much in this film that I absolutely love. And there's other things where I find myself going, hmm, that doesn't age terribly well. And other things I'm thinking, wow, isn't that prescient? (laughs) This film is a little bit of everything. Yeah. uh, Watching this, uh, yeah, and this would be the first time I've seen it since the 90s too. Um, Because I was struggling, like, while I'm watching this, I'm like, I knew where it all was going. I even already, I I didn't remember enough of it to know that I knew who the actual bad guy was. I caught on pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the one thing for this movie, it has all the right elements. I don't feel like the actors are all that into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the cast here. Yeah. Uh, Ray Fiennes plays Lenny Nero. Now, it's the weirdest thing. I knew he was in this film. Mm -hmm. I knew he starred in the film. I knew it was him. The whole time, all these years, I knew it was him. But still, when I watch this film, I'm thinking, this shouldn't have been him. No. This this should be somebody else. It's like, in, in my head, I'm thinking it's someone else, even though I know it's him. 
Right. <laughs> I, don't, I think the actor that I always kind of overlay on top of uh, Ray Fiennes in this for some reason is uh, Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah. I think Liam Neeson, especially in the 90s, would have been great in this. For the way that they dressed and the hair and all that that they did for Ray Fiennes in this, it's kind of a Liam Neeson look. Yeah. Like, like that was kind of his look around the Dark Man kind of time. So Right. Although it's probably just as well Liam Neeson didn't do this, because, frankly, apparently this film almost derailed a lots of people's careers because it bombed at the box office, so it's probably good. <laughs> I, yeah, and that, that was, was the thing, is uh, this thing is full of of top-notch actors. I just don't know that it showcased their <laughs> their abilities. Yeah, no. No, Ray Fiennes just doesn't he just doesn't have the presence that was that I felt that was really needed for this. He 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 did the script, but he wasn't Lenny Nero. No. Well, anyone whose name is Rafe, uh, it, it doesn't strike me as a Lenny. <laughs> Especially anytime I hear the name Lenny, I just go back to the Simpsons. <laughs> oh. Lenny and Carl. Angela Bassett, I don't think does too bad. She's a, she's Mason. Lornette Mace Mason. Um, you know, his, his Mace. good friend Mace. Yeah, yeah. He, he refers to her as Mace through the entire movie. Yeah, her last name apparently is Mason, but yeah, she just goes by Mace. She's not too bad. I think she does fine. I, yeah, I just think the other people, the people around her, need to be stronger. Absolutely, of course. Uh, I, I am going to fully admit I was completely distracted by Angela Bassett in this because she is in incredible shape in this movie. Oh my and god! I am, yes, I, I, and. I'm in love with like her arms and shoulders. I just keep watching her bare arms and shoulders because I'm like, oh my God, woman, you're in intense shape. And yeah, it's hot. You know, she, <laughs> and, and maybe that's why she doesn't quite fit this role because she is just supposed to be, she's a, she's a limo driver. Although I think she's supposed to actually do security. Oh, she drives the limo, yeah. but she also doubles as kind of like the bodyguard for somebody as, whoever's renting this limo. So I guess it makes sense that she would be that physically fit, but. Well, yeah, the limo, the limo's bulletproof. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So yeah, there, there's a little more to her role than that. But I mean, as you get in a scene uh, where you get to learn where the Lenny and Mace character got to know each other in the first place, she was originally like a waitress at a diner. Right, right. So you don't know how you get from there to here. Well, that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a, a hobby of, you know, of fitness. You know, that she likes to stay in shape and everything. There's nothing, you know, there's lots of people that are like that that just, they work out, you know, because they like to work out. But yeah, she, um, yeah, she looked phenomenal in this film. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, and she seemed uh, like one of the few that were doing a little bit more than reading the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually seemed a little more invested. Uh, so her her portrayal, her character was a little easier to connect with. She actually seemed to care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
No, yeah, she definitely seemed more invested than just about anybody else in this. Uh, Juliette Lewis, who was, I guess, really kind of the upper-comer in the 1990s. She both looks beautiful and skanky, depending on uh, which part of the film you watch. (laughs) Oh, yeah, which is why you wanted her there in the first place. Um, And... Interestingly enough, if you weren't aware or if you didn't catch it in the, the post credits and all that, I actually have the soundtrack for this movie and the songs that she sings on stage are featured. That's her. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. Very talented. I, I honestly, I, I do think she's a she can be a very she's a talented individual. I don't know if necessarily her strengths are in her acting, but she's I mean, she can act. Yes. And she can obviously sing. Yes, and I in this but yeah the, we were going to the butt uh, in this one she was one of the ones that I felt was just reading the lines. Um, I don't feel like she was it, like there's a scene in the in the movie where she is yelling at Lenny to get out of uh, the place supposedly because part of her does care and partly because she just wants them out of her life. It, it's hard to know which because there's no actual passion in what she's doing. Like mm-hmm. she's raising her voice, but there's no heart in what she's saying. Right. Tom Sizemore as Max. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was Max. Yeah. Again, no. I just he just follows. He he just feels very flat. And he's a character that really should have more, a little bit more depth, a little bit more. You shouldn't feel like he's, you shouldn't feel like he's fake through the whole movie. Right. Especially because you find out he's pretty much fake <laughs> through the whole movie. <laughs> I know, but this had one of those very lazy writing moments. I don't know if you caught it. Um, when we're first introduced to Max and he's a, uh, He's messing with Lenny by going up to him and, like, holding a gun to his head and scaring oh, right, off right, a client. Right. And and they retire to have their drink in the bar as the client runs away. And he actually breaks out with it. This is his best friend. And he breaks out and tells his backstory to his best friend like he's never heard it before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Did you really just do that? <laughs> like, did you say, hey, audience, I'm going to let you in on <laughs> yeah. who, who I am because you have no idea. And But I'm going to do it by telling my best friend who's probably known this for the past 10 years. <laughs> it was it was just it was just a real slap in the face. Hey, you guys in the audience, you're stupid. And I'm going to talk to you like you're stupid. Right yeah. now. Let's let me fill you in. Yeah. Look, <laughs> it was insane. Well, let's finish talking about some of the cast. Sure, we'll sure, back. sure. We'll go, we'll go back we to some of the We will go through, stuff. but um, I love hitting on these things. Yeah. Now, to me, a nearly unrecognizable Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about 100 pounds ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was kind of one of those... You, you, you see him on the screen and go, wow, he kind of looks like a Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, that is Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> didn't really and honestly his bit in this his part in this film is could be anybody uh you, it doesn't need to be vincent d'onofrio this could be 
this is Bob Smith, the up and coming, you know, from acting class. <laughs> right. But you got to admit, Vincent D'Onofrio plays crazy like nobody plays crazy. I think he did. Yeah, he does okay in this one. I think the one that did played crazy the best, though, is Michael Wincott oh. as Philo. What, what movie is he in that he's not playing crazy? Mm. I'm not real familiar with his uh, with his work. Not that I know of. The name is very is a little bit familiar to me, but... Um, you have seen him before. I know you have. Oh, he was in that Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, wasn't he? He oh, was, Oh, and he's in The Crow, yes. too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have seen him in quite a few things. There's no time that you don't see him where he isn't just the creepiest guy <laughs> that you can. Well, he's got the look. He does. <laughs> he does indeed. And that I think is kind of like your uh, your main cast there. Everyone else, um, pretty inconsequential. Um, all, although honestly, some of the minor cast members are probably the stronger cast members. Now, what we're talking about with the writing, this is one thing that it's a weakness, I think, of the writer. Uh, James Cameron actually did the screenplay for this and wrote the story. His then, I don't think they're still married. Catherine Bigelow, are they divorced? They were married at the time. Not good on uh, the the okay. the relationship factors of uh, the celebrity set. Well, whether they are or not anymore, Catherine Bigelow, who directed the film, was married to James Cameron. James Cameron came up with the story and the and the uh, screenplay for this. And James Cameron is really good at coming up with ideas, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's terribly good at actually coming up with a way to express those ideas when it comes to his films. The dialogue. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue or even um, even complicating the plot with the fact that it's New Year's Eve. Why? It really doesn't... It plays absolutely no part in any of this other than to add a little bit... Add a little bit of extra, maybe, threat when they uncover the... Uh, the murder of the, the rapper and it was done by an LAPD, you know, police. Yeah. And so they talk about the fact that everything that's going on, you know, this would just be the tinderbox or something. I, it just, it didn't need to be there. And so it kind of, that kept showing itself back up in the plot, but it didn't need to. And that's probably why this film is like two and a half hours long. Right. My thing with this film is... This wants to be so much better than it actually is. It, it, um, the the racial tension, the murder um, mystery component, the fact that it's actually kind of two different crimes that are all rotating around each other because one initiates the other, but the the one that's the beating heart, the 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 murder of the rapper uh, by the L.A. cops for what was essentially a traffic stop and these two idiots are just they're just straight up racist um and they don't like this guy and they're looking for any excuse to do anything to him and they did so but 
they acted completely independently. There's no cabal about this. There's no grand effort by the LAPD to keep the black man down in this case. It's just these two are terrible. Um, Right. But it's going to ignite a thing, and this other crime starts to spin off of it just because there's a connection (laughs) back to the fact that it's a rapper. Um, And the guy is hung up high on this, uh, his little VR trip that he keeps doing the thing they call playback. The intricacy of this, there's a great story in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just don't feel like uh, everyone was committed to making it as good as it could be. Yeah, no, I really do like the fact that, you know, we we start the movie right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what's going on. Um, the guy, is, there's cops chasing this woman. They almost catch her. They end up ripping off her wig and realize there, she had something underneath her wig. We don't even know what really what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, all that happens at the beginning of this film. No idea what's going on. And then it all starts falling into place as we watch this film. I mean, it's a great, everything, it's got the ingredients of a great detective uh, novel. Yeah, like you were, uh, like we were discussing as we were selecting synopsis for this, you read a version of a synopsis that read it out like a noir detective story, and it very much is. But it just seems to get, uh, bog itself down with a lot of other things that don't need to be there. It's almost like there's too many elements. It it wants to be it wants to do that old adage of where it is safe to tell um, a a hard truth storyline by hiding it in sci fi. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is, it adds this sci fi element that's not far enough out to be believable that it existed, like. When we watched this at the time, I didn't think in four years we would have the technology to capture people's um, memories in a way that we could feed it back into our own brain. Right. (laughs) So for even putting myself back in that time period, I couldn't believe that part. It wasn't far enough out. Um, And while that was supposed to be the key to how you learn the various clues along the way, I think you could have done that other ways, too. Right. Uh, I want to get back to that. I want to go back to the where I think some of the the, the plot issues or the story element issues are in this film. Yeah. It is obviously heavily influenced by everything that went down with the Rodney King incident in L.A., which happened just a a year or two prior Mm -hmm. to this. Um, and so there was obviously some effort on Cameron's part to like have a message film. Yes. But unfortunately, I think that message, while I'm saying it's a good message, rampant racism is bad. And unfortunately, it's still a message that needs to be heard (laughs) today. It's where I was saying this film is amazingly prescient for, uh, unfortunately, uh, things have not changed much. Uh, but that message only in this film, in this story, in this detective story, in this mystery story, that message just slows things down. It just gets in the way of the mystery. You know, the two things are both important elements to this or could be important elements to a movie. They don't belong in the same movie, not in this case anyway, because one 
yes, it leads to the mystery, but that message has nothing to do with most of the mystery that's going on. Mm -hmm. That's where I think this film is two and a half hours long because it is like two films that keep ramming into each other. (laughs) Exactly. As you get toward the end of the film, it does feel like they physically become two different films. I, it right down to, you get down to the party mace goes in one direction and she is dealing with the outcome of having the, the information about the cops killing the rapper and right. is literally involved in a chase involving those cops. That's a movie and the uh, climax happening unto itself while you're getting the Ray Fiennes character playing out the murder mystery of the hooker uh, and, yeah. and his ex-girlfriend. And that's its own little uh, climax to its own little movie right there as well. Yeah, yeah it, it, if you follow the movie with Mace, I think what would have been great, there's a moment where they, they even talk about the fact that, you know, if this gets out, they're, they're talking, this would absolutely, you wouldn't believe the riots. I mean, this literally could lead to like civil war mm-hmm. because tensions are already high. Um, I guess that's the only reason it's really like New Year's Eve is because security is like really heightened around LA because of the big gala celebration and everything. So you have effectively um, military police mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, it's practically martial law on the streets. Uh, whether that's just the way LA is in this future, or if that's just because of the big party that's coming up because it's the new year's or, you know, there, there's obviously other things, underlying issues going on. Well, yeah, they're driving around town and tanks are, are, are just driving up and down streets and nobody is batting an eye at this. Exactly. And so there's that line about talking about how that this would actually you know explode. This would be a civil, this would could start a civil war and and all this stuff. And then again, follow that movie, follow that story, keep going, keep going. Oh no, you're 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 not going to do that. Oh okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like no, there's something really good there. Keep going. No. But Ray okay. Fiennes loves Juliette Lewis. <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. Him pining away for her was. It really does. You feel for Mace when she starts smacking him upside the head. It's like, get over it. (laughs) Oh, well, and while you're talking about the fact that this is multiple movies in the same movie anyway, we we could also talk about the the Mace Lenny movie. Uh, The fact that this is the dumbest man on the planet. Uh, yeah. th- this woman does everything for this guy without batting an eye. She's gorgeous. She It's clear that she loves him from the get-go because she is the only one putting up with his shit. And he is oblivious to it all through the whole thing because he's pining away for uh, who's someone who's essentially a skank. <laughs> I mean... Uh, uh, granted, uh, uh, for the music of the day, she's a talented singer, but I, quite frankly, I don't even know where that happened out of uh, uh, the time frame that he was supposedly her boyfriend to, to that. Uh, like, time didn't pass that far. So, Well, and I love, he even describes that 
you know, he meets her, and I, I think she, she was like, a, she was strung out, a drug addict, a prostitute or something. He meets her, he helps her clean up, they have a relationship, and he mentions about her, you know, the, like voice of an angel and everything. And like, Lenny does not seem like the kind of guy that thinks the kind of music she sings is would be angelic. Right. That just doesn't seem like, it doesn't, he doesn't seem like a punk fan. Yeah, the, this is the hardcore grunge period of time, and right. she's singing very, it, she, she's screaming into a microphone half the time. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he just definitely doesn't seem like the kind of guy that this would be his music. No. No, you, you picture him more into jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being one of those old retro guys with jazz or big band, and everyone doesn't understand why he likes that old music on a phonograph. (laughs) (laughs) Or even those old talky tube things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, clay cylinders, yeah. Yeah, the clay cylinders. Yeah, Yeah, he's a man out of time. It's peddling the future. (laughs) Going back to where you were were going with the technology. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where I think this film really, yeah, the technology does not work. It's set in 1999. It's filmed in 1995, 94, 95. So everyone has cell phones very reminiscent of 94, 95. Mm -hmm. And we have this technology that can record everything, emotions, uh, sight, sound, and emotions from somebody, and then transfer it to somebody, you know, record it to a to a CD, to a little disc, and then transfer it to someone else's brain. Don't 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 forget too. Even though they have their cell phones, they still keep a home landline, and at the home landline, it has a video thing that will put <laughs> up the text of what of what's being left on your answering machine. <laughs> But we can, but we can record memory and beam it into somebody else's brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. A little disjointed. Tech- yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Uh, that's something. Again, when we watched this in 1995, maybe it didn't feel so odd to us because those phones were around. We we saw every one of those phones. That was current technology. Right. So maybe it didn't seem so odd, but now we look back and go, well, this is supposed to be the future, though. Why isn't everyone, why, why, why aren't phones a quarter of the size that these bricks that they keep putting up to their heads are? Well, yeah, but it's that whole, they didn't set it out far enough to make that make any sense. I could actually, from 95 to 99, expect the phones that they were using and the digital technology for the answering machine, sure, I could buy that stuff at, at, in the five-year time span that they're shooting for. But, right. but the brain thing is just completely off the rails. That I don't remember that hitting me at all watching this in 95, 96. No. I don't remember it. I, I just didn't notice that kind of... Discrepancy? <laughs> yeah, didn't notice that at all. But it really stands out looking back on it now. Well, and since we're on the technology part, it brings up another thing that this movie does. Another, it actually brought up an early issue 
another thing to explore, but it, again, too many things all impacting all, all at once, which made it a little chaotic, is, is the concept of, of VR in and of itself and what it can be used for. Um, the fact that they're capturing memories and moments so that others can experience those memory and moments and then to see... Uh, like we do with our technology in general, the idea is you can develop a thing maybe with a good idea in mind and it can get horribly twisted when you don't think about how that technology could be used. So the the notion, uh, when our killer of the women, when he gets involved, the fact that he both rapes and murders them while they're connected to the machine watching him watch them go through this and the sick depravity of doing something like that when the the technology's intended for the happier things that that come up like I I, I did kind of like that they showed the the dichotomy there because there was the one track that he gave to the friend that had no legs and his the memory that he gave him was one of running in the surf with legs mm-hmm um so you got to see the good and the bad of this technology, but that was a little too much to pack into this, where it's also about the race wars and, and violence toward women and yeah, <laughs> this weird love story that watching it now too, with the race implications with the, uh, with the violence toward women and all that, the fact that, they made it awkward that this white man and black woman might have a relationship that was romantic. Um, the fact that that was the thing that felt awkward was kind of, it kind of made me cringe a little. <laughs> this film, it, it just tried to do too much. Mm-hmm. And don't trying to do that much. It just, it fails at all of it. Yeah, I just keep going back to there. There is an epic story. I I almost think this might work better as a series. I swear, more and more movies that I look back on and watch now. Matt and I, um, a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, ran into like four films in a row that we covered that thought it was a good movie, but it would make a great TV show. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I agree. This one would be a really good. You can make it a, you can make a little bit of a cop drama or a detective, a, a detective drama. You know, have him. He's an L, he's an ex LAPD cop. Maybe he quit the force and becomes a private detective. You know, uh, because this all hits about the same time frame and where we have the perfect example of how that should work is I'm drawn to um, Alien Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, Alien Nation, the movie, was eh? Yeah, it was okay. It was okay, but the series was amazing. Yeah, it created a universe that a series could step in and go, oh, we can play here. <laughs> right. So it took all the elements that it tried to pack into the two hours that didn't work and made it work because you had more time to flesh it out. You could introduce new characters. You could take your time with it. And I feel like Strange Days is the same thing. You got two and a half hours packed with a whole lot of what is potentially good content. 
mm-hmm. but you don't have enough time to flesh it out. And and in this case, too, I, I don't feel like the cast was into it all that much. Right. They didn't um, have a whole lot of chemistry. I mean, no, no, they they lacked a little bit of chemistry. Yeah, you needed you needed a different cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see something just being a series, and you could keep it dark. You could keep it the level that this movie was. You know, put it on at nine o'clock at night or whatever. Uh, make it a uh, you know Law and Order twenty one hundred or something <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> dung dung. <laughs> Dick Wolf is writing down notes as we speak. <laughs> well, and, and to to tie it all back to where you were, what you were talking about earlier is everything that's in this hits very close to home to now. Like, yeah. like the the ramp up to practically civil war over race riots that's plucked from this year. We've actually seen some, uh, worse than what they showed in the in the movie just this year, and that this thing was supposed to be, well, it, it is. It's twenty five years ago, and knowing how Hollywood and the people involved love love to remake something without having to start from scratch, why not Netflix or Prime or or any of the number of relentless streaming services? Yes, please get everything out of that that drives me insane. Um, Discovery Plus now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, but any of these streaming services could easily pick up a property like that, this, and go, I can do more with that. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a series play in this universe because mm-hmm. I, I do think you could, you could tell, you could have all your messages that you were trying to convey through this film you could have in the series mm-hmm. you could have them as b pl- underlying b plots that run throughout the uh, season you could just have a few episodes here and there about this or that you know um just the uh the idea the technology the um as you call it you know the depravity that the someone had this this rig uh this playback rig so the person he was murdering could feel the thrill he got of murdering the person. That is one of the things that stuck with me all these years. Right. You know, aside from everything else, I remember that. Right. And thinking, Jesus, that's dark. <laughs> yes, uh, it was. <laughs> that is dark and that is twisted. So you could definitely have an episode or two of this series that deals with someone going around and doing that mm-hmm. and then you know bringing that person to justice kind of thing um with some of the talent that's out there right now too one of the things i enjoy in a great many of the series that are out there which again this this movie screams for that kind of treatment is where you make where you do have that little b plot thing that little thing that's uh, nested in what you're doing in a certain story arc and have it come out and become the the alpha storyline in a following season. Uh, oh, could could you imagine that? Can you imagine a, a series and there could be that underlying tension of you know that there was this rapper that was murdered, mm-hmm. and you just go along. It, it just occasionally you know would 
bring it bring come up to the surface throughout the series and then by the end of that season or something like that you find out that one of the cops you've been following that maybe he's not one of the main characters but like one of the the tertiary characters or something you know that 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 guy that y'all like when he comes in or whatever turns out he's responsible or something big mm-hmm. bombs sh- oh, gee many christmas what the hell would that do to you <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, right? And, and and that's the kind of TV we're getting right now. And, and I think it's hysterical that we're talking about this in the, those terms because that's what this movie kind of screams for. It it needs more long form to it. It's the reason it's two and a half hours. Is yeah. there's lots of good content here. This is just it didn't turn out this way because you need more time. Right. And. I'm just going to keep circling back on that, but you need more investment in the cast. This cast just didn't care. Uh, Angela Bassett seemed to be the only one on board with, (laughs) with, with with doing this. I, I, even when you bring in the old gruff cop, that that's the one that you're supposed to, to, to care about. Like, I didn't even feel like he was there and he's supposed to be saving the day at the end. <laughs> uh, it might be why I, you know, like I was saying, this bombed the box office. It had a budget of about 42 million. It only took in about eight mil Ooh. at the box office. <laughs> That's a bomb. So yeah, it was, it was gone. So, but Angela Bassett did win best actress at the 22nd uh, Saturn awards after this film for this film. And out of this film, yes, absolutely. Um, she she certainly deserves something because she had yeah because she carried the damn thing. <laughs> Any scene where she wasn't in it wasn't that great. Mm. I, I'm just gonna put it straight up that way. Any scene she wasn't in, it was clear they were just there reading lines, waiting till we could get Angela Bassett back on the screen. <laughs> now uh, that same awards ceremony. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, they gave her the Best Director Award. Really? Okay. For Strange Days. I don't know. I mean, she had a lot to work with. You know, she had a hell of a story to work with. She did. She had a cast that was maybe not perfect, but maybe she, I mean, I don't know. I don't, is was a Best Director warranted for her for this? No, you know what? Uh, No slight on her. She got it. She got a watchable film out of it, but I can't say best director. She, these actors are actually, uh, for their day and at that time, are supposed to be some of the best. And the fact that she didn't get very good performances out of her, out of them, either she needed to be more involved in the initial casting or she needed to lay down the law on what she actually wanted. I just dialed up the docket here, whatever you want to call it, the, uh, all the nominations for that year for the Saturn Awards. Catherine Bigelow won for Strange Days over Terry Gilliam for 12 Monkeys and David Fincher for Seven. Among Brian Singer for The Usual Suck. Well, they're supposed to be for science fiction. Sure. And, and, That's um, what the Saturn Awards Science are. fiction, fantasy, and horror. Right. So The Usual Suspects is in here. I don't really feel like that really falls under any of those categories. So David Fincher, Terry Gilliam, uh, Joe Johnston for Jomanji, Frank Marshall for Congo, Robert Rodriguez for From Dust Till Dawn, and Catherine Bigelow wins on top of all that. Something else was going on there. Someone really wanted, apparently she was the first woman to win a Best Actress at a Saturn Award. I think someone just really you wanted... Best Director? 
or best director, excuse me. Someone really wanted to give that award that year. Because well, this, this comes down to my essential problem with awards and award ceremonies is that there's a lot of it ends up being more political than actual um, skill and craft. I, I say that with, with, with no slight intended. Uh, there are lots of fantastic um, actors and directors from every race and gender and all that. I just don't think this film warrants that kind of praise. No, no. Not not with some of that other competition. I mean, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys yeah, that's what a, I'm thinking. A I, fantastic film, well which, acted, well which directed. Won, which won Best Picture? For this and 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 that same award, usually director and picture kind of go together, right? <laughs> That's surprising, and yes, I do believe there was some political motivation there. Perhaps, and and, and uh, granted, of course, uh, you you want to honor, um, you want to be able to honor anyone. And see, I'm I'm still very much stuck on. on I, I, want, I really do want a world where where we just praise people for the actual actions that they do based on nothing but that. Yes. It, your, your, your race, your gender, your sexual proclivities, they don't factor in because they don't make you you. You make you you. <laughs> yes. No, I, I am looking forward to the world where it's just, it just is. And no one has to say, oh, this is the first. No, yeah. no you don't just stop saying that. Just, yeah, I want to get to a world where there's no that there's no more first. It's just this is how the world works. That, yes, I don't know that we'll get to see that world, but I long for it. Okay, so now we know what we think of Strange Days. What did the critics think of Strange Days oh, back in the Strange Days of 1995? Well, since it is 1995, I got to actually touch on. Siskel and Ebert together. <laughs> nice. So, Roger Ebert, um, he actually really liked this movie. The excerpt that I've got here is, uh, this is the first movie about virtual reality to deal in a challenging way with the implications of the technology. It's fascinating the way Bigelow is able to suggest so much of VR's impact and dangers within a movie a form of VR that's a century old. So Roger really kind of got in there on the sci-fi component. The, uh, the and completely ignored everything <laughs> else. I agree with him on that subject. <laughs> yes, but he, he has really dialed it in on just that. Um, and really didn't speak much to, um, the, the racial tension component, uh, violence on violence sake, that he didn't touch on any of that, really. He was just very much focused on the VR component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Siskel, who I'm, uh, I'm a little more in line with on this one, uh, he touched more on the uh, structure of it. He, uh, he goes, not for a moment did I believe any of the characters. They were not as provocative as the clips fine Fines was selling. And in a strange way, Strange Days is undone by the very product it condemns. Not a, not, not a real fan. <laughs> no, no, apparently not. I don't think they use the term virtual reality 
in this film. No. Uh, but <laughs> you couldn't swing a digital cat in the 90s without hitting somebody talking about virtual reality. Um, everything from, uh, like, you know, the lawnmower man, uh, you know, Strange Days. Um, oh, what's all the other films? All oh, uh, Existence. Can't even say I knew that last one. Oh, no. Yeah, there was a bunch of them that all came out probably in the 90s. Um, I, I hope I have, you know, the years right. Johnny I think Mnemonic. I do. Yeah. Um, television, you know, played with it. Uh, VR5, there was a television series. Yeah, I know VR5. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. Max Headroom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone really thought that that was going to be the future. I find it funny that it was so much the future that we're still trying to get it off the ground now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's never quite come to the uh, the level as depicted. Usually science fiction is only, you know, what they say, science fiction is only like 25 years ahead of science fact or something like that. I, I don't even think, I think it's less than that. Um, in this case, unfortunately, virtual reality, mm, yeah, hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, it's not much different than it was perceived then. I mean, graphics are better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you remember the uh, those kiosks? Uh, you go to the, the the arcades or the you go to the mall and just in the in the corner there'd be someone the, the, with the virtual reality you know kiosk where you'd stand in the big ring and you'd put the big the giant helmet on. Yeah. And it was just a lot of you know vector graphics and you tried to shoot the dragon or something like that. Oh, yeah. You spent like five or ten bucks for a few minutes in this thing. <laughs> the funny thing is it wasn't that long ago where I went to an amusement park where they just had a slightly better version of that exact same thing. <laughs> you paid five or ten bucks to go stand in a helmet with a gun in your hand and shoot shoot at each other and do a capture the flag kind of thing. I suppose what what we have is things like the Oculus and things like that um, mm -hmm. is really kind of where all that's gone now. And I, so I guess it has gotten here. Uh, we're not living in the virtual reality like so many of the uh, films kind of depicted us doing right. in the 90s. But as an entertainment source, I suppose it has improved quite a bit and become a little bit more viable. Well, and you have to look at it uh, beyond that. Uh, you have to expand your notion of what VR is. I mean, you could get into the earlier, uh, some of that early stuff like uh, Second Life or um, where you, you can live in a world that's made entirely. I mean, it's not as, it's not putting you in the perspective of being able to touch and feel everything like like VR, the, what traditional 90s VR had suggested that you were going to do. Right. But, I mean, you can take it as far as, like, uh, people performing surgery by robot across uh, across the country or the globe even um, because there's a robot on one end and they are plugged into it literally watching and manipulating with their hands. So it has advanced. It, it has it, it has expanded into what it means, but it never got off the ground quite the way that the 90s thought it would. <laughs> yeah, I think the 90s expected everyone to be in, in cubes and little cubicles and, you know, in their homes and, and, and never leaving the house. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's kind of what we're doing now. <laughs> oh, my God. 2020 is just a VR simulation. 
wouldn't that be a thing? <laughs> we are living in the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, so I have to say that I'm a little disappointed. I, I remember being really impressed with this film back in, you know, 96. It does not hold up, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, it it's one of those things I remember it more fondly, but if you think about it, if you get into the soul uh, of how particularly you and I watch, watch things. If we really think something's good, we really love it, we revisit it. Yeah. Um, multiple times, sometimes annually or more. Um, and we haven't touched this one since we saw it. So we remember it kind of fondly, but it never struck us as the thing that, ooh, I want to see that again. <laughs> I think it was uh, it was something that once you get uh, out of the age where you just want to watch something because Juliet Lewis gets topless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also hitting us in our hormonal twenties. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, now it's kind of like yeah, okay, I've seen those before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think that'll do it for Strange Days. Yeah, we're going to time shift in the other direction for our next episode. We're actually going to go look at a film that has not yet come out and I think will just be coming out when that episode drops. So that's going to be one of the, like our mostly most on-time uh, movie reviews, I think, ever. <laughs> Woohoo! We get to be relevant! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to watch a film called Battle in Space, The Armada Attacks. And it was offered up by Uncorked Entertainment as a, as, a, as a screener, a preview screener for us. And the thing that really jumped out for me is it does, it says stars. <laughs> we'll see how big of a role he has. It says it stars Doug Jones from Star Trek Discovery most recently, as well as, you know, many other things. So he, uh, what's it, Saru in Star Trek Discovery? Okay. Uh, that would also make him um, the blue guy from uh, Hellboy. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, him. So, <laughs> very talented, very very talented uh, actor, in my opinion, because he can convey a whole lot without ever actually seeing his face. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought, okay, yeah, that's worth uh, checking out. The actual trailer, they were able to cut together a decent looking trailer would look like it had some decent looking special effects but we'll see if any of that holds up or that's all that there is in the movie we'll see so that will be our next episode i i'm looking forward to it because it's space it's got lasers and spaceships sometimes i'm just in the mood you know right yeah no uh, that that feels like a good way to kick off our year um just a nice silly space battle movie maybe it'll impress uh that's the fun of independent films, especially ones that haven't. We get to be among some of the first to see it, so this will be a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. So we'll be back in a couple weeks. So um, yeah, happy New Year, everybody! Hope you enjoy your festivities, whatever it is. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to bother staying up. <laughs> I, I, I. I usually stay up and watch like the the rockin' New Year's Eve and everything, and just just to see if there is absolutely any artist that shows up that I that I actually know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well we are getting old enough where we have to play the game. Do I know any of these people? Right. 
besides, who wants to really stare at uh, 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 <laughs> empty streets of New York? <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna be different this year, uh, absolutely. Although I do kind of maybe want to tune in to see if everyone's holding their poles to keep six feet apart. <laughs> 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 uh, could be entertaining. So yeah, so we will talk to everybody in 2021. Have a great New Year's, and um, yeah, good luck. Happy New Year. <laughs>